Well, I was shooting off a text, so I'm really grateful for that long outro. It gave me a second there to get it off, so awesome. It's so good to be here this morning. Thanks for being in the house of the Lord. God is moving in this place today. I can just sense it. So thanks for being here. If you are new today, I just want to say welcome. We're so glad that uh, you would join us today. And we're going to be picking up the Gospel of Mark sermon series in part 49. We are in chapter 14, verse 12, so if you want to turn there. Uh, Last week, we started the last section of the Gospel, and... In this last section, it centers all around the crucifixion of Jesus. So really, for about 12 weeks or so, we're just kind of in the crucifixion story. So we're going to be moving very slowly through it. And and really, I believe it's an opportunity as we do this to just center ourselves in the cross. I think sometimes we kind of like move on from the cross too quickly. But for about 12 weeks, we're just going to be saturated in what Jesus has done on the cross. So I'm really excited for that. But for last week, we looked at the story of a woman who poured expensive perfume on Jesus just two days before the Passover. And then we also read about how Judas is going to betray Jesus. And really what Mark is trying to do is he's trying to show us the difference between the woman who poured out her love on Jesus and then his friend who betrayed him in his uh, most desperate hour. And And the call that I think Mark is making for us is to be like the woman, right? To pour out our love on Jesus, to uh, to not betray Jesus with our lifestyles, but instead to truly give our hearts to Jesus. But here's the thing, our giving of our hearts to Jesus is simply a response to what he's already done on the cross. We're not trying to earn something or prove something. We are simply responding in love to what Jesus has done for us, okay? So now this week, we're going to pick it up on the on the first day of the Passover. So they're gonna celebrate the Passover meal. It's on the Thursday night, which is the night right before Jesus is uh, betrayed and crucified. So let's go ahead and look at it. It's verse 12. It says, on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you, follow him, And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room and where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready there, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the 12 and as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the 12, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the son of man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I I drink it new in the kingdom of God. All right, so the sermon title is The New Exodus. The New Exodus. Let's pray over this, and we'll dive in. So Lord, uh, we thank you so much for this morning. I pray as we look at this communion text this morning that you would just bring it to life, And God, that communion would not just be something we flippantly participate in, but something that we truly immerse ourselves in. Holy Spirit, bring the text to life. Speak to us. Holy Spirit, have your way in this room. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
All right, so when I was in high school, I got my first MacBook, and I remember I was so excited because MacBooks have GarageBand on them. If you don't know what GarageBand is, it's, it's how you record music. It's like a music software. They have lots of sounds, like little piano sounds, drum sounds, and I was really excited to write my first song. I've always been a musician, uh, not a very good one. I'm okay at drums, everything else, I'm eh, but uh, I've always tried to be a music not a musician, a musician, and I'm a writer, right? That's, you know, I preach. I'm writing, you know, really like a little short or short chapter of a book every week in my sermon. So, you know, it's kind of who I am is writing music, that kind of stuff. So I was excited to, you know, truly be able to do my own song because I, again, wasn't that good at guitar and those kind of things. So I had all the sounds and I really just immersed myself in the process and wrote a beautiful song in the first couple days of having the MacBook. I have some of the lyrics. I'll throw them on the screen. Uh, The song was called it's called Do You Remember? It goes, do you remember when I... Okay, anyways. So that's literally the melody. But uh, so here's some lyrics. Do you remember when I called on you? We talked for seven straight long hours. And do you remember when I cried with you? You said I love you. And I do love you too, right? That's the first verse. I won't... Re- or the verses get progressively worse. So that's like the best part of the song. <laughs> so I'm not going to read the rest of it to you. But I wrote this song. One person in the world has access to the song, and that is me. It's on my iPhone. Don't ever try to listen to it. It's, it's very embarrassing. But I share this song to say when you really, as terrible as the song was, when you really immerse yourself in something, when you really give it your attention, you can actually accomplish quite a bit pretty quickly if you're really immersed in it. So, so my question for you this morning as we get started is, is what do you immerse yourself in? What are the things that just truly get your attention? It could be your career or your spouse or your kids, sports, hobbies, entertainment, church. It could be anything. What are the things that you immerse yourself in? And we all have things that we pour hours and hours of energy and time into. And then on the other end, we have things that should get more of our attention that just don't. Maybe it's a skill that does need to be developed, or maybe it's a child who needs some love, or a marriage that just needs tending that uh, we're not giving our attention to. You know, the question is, what are you immersed in, and would you say that you're immersed in the right things? One thing I love about the Jewish tradition, which Christianity is rooted in, is they intentionally set up rhythms that, that help them keep themselves immersed in God and his story. So for example, every seventh day, so every single week they celebrate the Sabbath, and I think Christians should too, but every seventh day, they, they stop to just be with God. They stop and rest and delight and worship for a whole 24-hour period. It's this intentional time of grounding themselves in God and his story. In the same way, they have festivals throughout the year that, that commemorate important moments in their life with God. They were, these festivals are designed to recenter themselves back on the Lord and his goodness and his faithfulness. And the most prolific of these festivals is the Passover. And we talked about this a bit last week. But the Passover, it remembers what God did in Exodus when he delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And before that, the Lord had sent several plagues on Egypt, but Pharaoh would not let the people go. He would say, okay, you can go. And then he would change his mind. And the Lord told the Israelites that he was gonna do one last big plague to get Pharaoh to finally or to finally let them go once and for all. And the plague was to kill the firstborn son in Egypt. Okay, he was going to kill every firstborn son in Egypt. And if the Israelites wanted to protect themselves from this plague, they had to sacrifice a lamb and put the blood of the lamb on their doors. And then the angel of death would bypass their house and spare them during this plague. 
And through this, the Israelites were fleet. They're free from Egypt, and as they left Egypt, God even parted the Red Sea so they could walk through on dry ground and get to freedom. Every year, Passover time was freedom time for the Jewish people, and it still is. It's a time of joy and celebration and remembering the faithfulness of God. And to celebrate the Passover, the Jews would sacrifice a year-old lamb or goat in the temple, and then they would eat it in private gatherings throughout Jerusalem that night after sunset. And the mealtime was a very important and intentional time of reciting and remembering the story of Exodus. In our passage today, on this important day, Jesus himself made all the preparations necessary for him and his disciples to celebrate this well just before his death. He sends two of his disciples ahead of him into town to find a man who would lead them to a home where they could celebrate the Passover together. In verses 12 through 16, you see that there is just a mood of expectancy in urgency when it comes to the Passover, there's a sense of preparation. The word preparation in the Greek is used three times. Jesus and his followers wanted to be sure that they could celebrate this well. Just like the rest of Israel, the celebration of Passover was not something you take lightly. It's not something you flippantly go through the motions with. Instead, it was something you give your attention to, you give your energy to it. The Jews, they did not just remember the Passover, they immersed themselves in it. They knew that there's a difference between knowing something in your head and experiencing it in your heart, right? There's a difference between those two things. So they intentionally set up the meal so that it would be a powerful experience as they engaged with story and community and food. It was a powerful encounter. They didn't want Passover to just be an idea or a theory, but an encounter with the living God. They wanted to press deep into their souls that they are a free people under the rule of God. Even though they were occupied by Rome in Jesus' context, their God was alive and he would deliver them once again through a Messiah. Okay, for the last year or so, I've walked a mile or so every morning. It's part of my prayer routine. That's the main reason I do it. But I've also been really enjoying just being in each of the seasons. I don't like winter just like most of us. There's probably one of you that does like it, but the rest of us don't. I don't like it, but there's been something about going out into the winter every single day, no matter how cold or or snowy it is, and just being in it and kind of immersing myself. And obviously, I don't go out like this. I have, I actually look like I'm going to rob somebody. So if you ever see me on the street, I promise I don't mean any harm. But but it's been beautiful to just immerse myself into the seasons. And, and, And one thing I've noticed about or about the winter time is there's just a crispness, there's a clarity to it, right? The sky, if there's no overcast, the sky is extra clear, it's, it's extra crisp. I've also noticed that, you know, all the leaves aren't on the tree, so you can see things more clearly. Some things you couldn't see before you can see during the winter time. There's just a beauty to it. I've been kind of enjoying it, although I'm ready for spring. During the Passover meal, the Israelites, they immersed themselves in the Exodus story. They just really got into it. They savored it. They let it impact them anew. And as they're experiencing this, Jesus then turns their attention to the fact that that one of them is going to betray him. He says this in verse 18. He says, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who's eating with me. Okay, so Jesus tells the disciples what we already know as the readers of this gospel, that, that one of his disciples, who we know to be Judas, is going to betray him. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't tell them who is going to betray him. He lets them consider the fact that it could be them. He's saying it could be, it could be you. And then each individual asks, is it I? Is it I? It says in verse 19, they began to be sorrowful and say to him one after another, 
is it I? The fact that one of them could betray Jesus grieves their hearts. That's what the word sorrowful is. It grieves them. They feel the weight of it. And Jesus, he then narrows down uh, the list of suspects from just you know, everyone in the room to the 12. He says this in verse 20. He says, it's one of the 12 who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as, it's, goes at his, goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Okay, so he's allowing each of the 12 disciples to consider that it could be them just as they have been immersed in the Passover. He's inviting them now to immerse themselves in his coming betrayal and to not just view it as a bystander, but to see themselves as the possible betrayer. He wants them to feel the pain of the possibility that they could be the one who betrays him. And in a way, they all would betray him in one way or the other. It says this in verse 27. We're going to look at this in a couple weeks, but it says, And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it's written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. When it counts, they do all flee. They bail on Jesus. Although it's not as intentional as Judas's betrayal, it's a betrayal nonetheless. And one commentator said it this way. He said, There may have been only one traitor in the formal sense, but by dawn, all the disciples will betray Jesus. If not from greed, then from weakness, fear, or cowardice. Surely not I. How that protest echoes down the centuries. Jesus seems to want the disciples to realize that they have a part in his suffering. They are not innocent bystanders to his betrayal. And their sin is putting him on the cross just as much as the rest of the world's is. And the same applies to us. We all betray Jesus in one way or the other. And we need to realize we have a part in his suffering. And I believe we need to see ourselves as his betrayer. He hung on that cross not just because of the failures of the world, but because of your failures, because of mine. If we all fail to love well at times, we're impatient with people, we treat our spouses, children, and loved ones poorly at times, we fail to share our faith when Jesus asks us to, and we don't want to serve other people, we can be pretty selfish, pretty prideful, we, or we lust and lie and tear others down with our words, and we commit sins of both commission and sins of omission. Sins of commission are taking wrong actions, right? Doing the wrong thing. Sins of omission are not doing the right thing. That's a sin as well. When God's asked you to do something, you don't do it. The thing is, we all sin. We all take wrong actions. We all fail to take right actions. And whenever we sin, we betray Jesus. We grieve the heart of the one who gave it all for us. I can remember when I was in college, I would donate plasma at BioLife. And I'd always bring a book with me. I remember one time I brought the book, The Circle Maker, and the tagline is praying circles around your, your biggest fears and greatest dreams or something like that, something about prayer. And I remember I was sitting there reading it, and the nurse asked me, she said, hey, what's that book? And it says praying circles. So anyways, I'm like, uh, I really don't want to share my faith. So I'm like, oh, it's a self-help book. She's like, and she kind of laughed at me because I think she knew it was not a self-help book. Or if, she, if it was a self-help book, she's like, why is a 19-year-old reading a self-help book? But anyways... I remember in that moment, I said, Lord, if I have an opportunity laid out like that for me ever again, I won't fail you. Like, I'm going to share my faith, if some, especially if someone's asking me, right? They're asking me to tell them about you in some way. And I just remember the pain that I felt in that moment. And it wasn't like I took some terrible action against God, but it was failing to do what he's asking me to do in that moment. It was being ashamed of him in that moment. And I never want to be ashamed of Jesus. 
I share that to say that all of us sin. We all, we all betrayed Jesus. And Jesus, he wanted his disciples to get this, and he wants us to get this. Jesus invites us to immerse ourselves in his betrayal. I forgot to put two in front of immerse, so you have to add the two there. But uh, he does this to sh- I hate typos, so anyways, that's why I said that. All right, he does this to show us the power of what he introduces next. Okay, so just as the disciples immerse themselves in the pain of the betrayal of Jesus, he then points them to the remedy of their betrayal, or the, or the remedy for their betrayal. There's a reason why he wants us to know we betray him. Okay, he wants to show us the remedy to our betrayal. It says this in verse 22. It says, and as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and he all, or they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is the, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Okay, so because they just immersed themselves in his betrayal, now uh, the institution of the Lord's Supper of communion is more powerful because they've just immersed themselves in the fact that he's going to be betrayed. Jesus would have to break his body and shed his blood because even those with the best intentions betray him. No one can keep the law. No one's perfect Everybody betrays him, and there's a price for our betrayal. When Jesus says, this is my body, he uses a word for body that refers to his whole being. He's saying, take my whole being. He's telling us when we take communion, we symbolically take him in. We take his body, and we are giving him our unrighteousness and taking his righteousness. And we symbolically feed on Jesus and take in his body that was broken for our sin. Okay, then he calls them to take the cup and they all take of it. In Hebrew thought, the life of a creature resided in their blood. Okay, when we take in communion, when we symbolically take in the blood of Jesus, we are taking in his very life. And we're trading our death for his life. It's an exchange. That's what, it's, that's what it symbolizes. And then when he calls it the blood of the covenant, he's telling us that he's instituting a new and better covenant than than the one that Moses did on Mount Sinai. In the old covenant, it was all about keeping the rules, keeping the law so you can measure up to God. In the new covenant was a covenant of promise that Jesus is gonna keep the law for us and put the law on our hearts. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah prophesied about this. This was like hundreds of years before Jesus was born. This is what he prophesied. He said, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, or when I will make a new covenant covenant with the house of Israel in the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, right, the Exodus, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor And each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. Okay, this new covenant of forgiveness and transformed hearts would be initiated through what Jesus would do the next day after the supper. Because Jesus died on the cross and paid our price, we don't have to begrudgingly try to keep the rules to measure up to him anymore. Instead, we simply respond to his love with obedience and love. And because Jesus will rise from the dead, the Spirit of God can come and live on the inside of our hearts. 
And obeying God can become the desire of our hearts. Not something we're begrudgingly trying to do, right? Oh, I gotta keep the rules. But instead it becomes the very desire of our hearts because the spirit of the living God lives in us. That's what Jesus came to do. And this is what communion symbolizes and celebrates. It celebrates the new covenant. Communion is a big deal. It remembers what Jesus did to make it possible to be right with God. And we need to treat communion in a similar way to how the Jews treated Passover. Right, just as the Jews immerse themselves in Passover, we should immerse ourselves in communion. As we take the bread, we should immerse ourselves in the, in the truth that Jesus' broken body makes us whole. Right? His body makes us whole. As we take the cup, we should immerse ourselves in the fact that Jesus' blood purchases our forgiveness. We shouldn't only treat communion in the same way as Passover, but also we need to see the connections between the two of them. There's some profound connections between Passover and communion. Jesus introduced communion during the Passover on purpose. They both celebrate an exodus. Okay, Passover, it celebrates an exodus from Egypt, and communion celebrates an exodus from sin and death. And communion, it celebrates an exodus that towers over the old exodus. Communion celebrates a new exodus. As we take communion, we should consider four different exoduses that happen through the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The first one is an exodus from Satan's rule. Okay, so just as the Israelites were freed from the clutches of Pharaoh and from his barbaric rule, if we accept Jesus' broken body and shed blood, we will be freed from the clutches of the new Pharaoh, the greater, or the greater Pharaoh, Satan himself, and from his tyranny. Okay, way back in Mark chapter three, Jesus told us a parable about how he came to bind the strong man and plunder his house, and he was referring to Satan and where he rules, where he's in authority. Jesus came to bind Satan and take authority from him and plunder his house. In Colossians chapter two, Paul says this, and he says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncertainty, In the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And get this part, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He's referring to the devil and his demons. He put them to open shame and And communion symbolizes the fact that if we accept the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ, Satan and his demons are disarmed and his authority is overthrown. Come on, somebody. That's a good word. The cross puts Satan to open shame and it enables us to triumph over him. That's the first exodus. It gets better. The second exodus is an exodus from judgment. Okay, during the last plague, the Israelites had to put blood on their doors to protect them from the angel of death. In the same way, when you accept Jesus Christ, the, the blood of Jesus can cleanse you of, his, or cleanse you of your sins and shield you from God's judgment. This is what Jesus came to do. The cross is all about him taking a judgment that each of us deserved. Ephesians 1 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Okay, we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and without Jesus there is no hope And we deserve death and and punishment and eternal separation from God. That's the price of our sin. The wages of our sin is death. But because of the ferocious love of God, 
Each of us can be forgiven for our sins and have our penalty paid by Jesus Christ himself. And we can trade places with Jesus. He can take on our sin and we take on his righteousness. His blood covers us and washes us white as snow. And the third exodus is the exodus from slavery. Okay, the Israelites, they weren't just set free from Pharaoh's harsh rule and spared from divine judgment, but they were also set free from a life of slavery, physical slavery for them. In the same way, when we immerse ourselves in the body and the blood of Jesus and invite the Holy Spirit to lead our lives, we get set free from not just the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin. Jesus has purchased freedom for you, not just forgiveness, but freedom and power over the things that strangle you. It says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, Paul says we become a new creature, right? We have new desires, new instincts. We're a new person. And here's the thing, we're not perfect, but we progressively grow closer to Jesus as his life lives inside of us. In Romans 8, Paul says this, he says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. I threw daughters in there because it applies. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Okay, here's the deal. Before we trust in Jesus Christ, we are held in bondage and fear. We don't have a heavenly father. There's no one watching out for us. And we are held captive to the whims of our sinful nature. But then when we trust in Jesus, we get adopted by God into his family. Like the God of the universe calls us son or daughter and we get to call him daddy, which is what Abba means. And this means we don't have to fear messing up anymore. Do you think Abram and Jane and Caleb, well, Caleb's a little young, but do you think they're scared of messing up? Like I'm gonna come and yell at them? Well, hopefully not, maybe if I was a terrible dad, but no, that's not how they are. They're not afraid. Actually, sometimes I'm like, you need to be a little more afraid. Come on. (laughs) Here's the deal. Before we put our faith in Christ, we fear messing up. We fear that God doesn't love us. We fear, uh, or we feel like we have to protect our identity or prove ourselves. But then when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we become son or daughter of God. And that means we can joyfully obey God knowing that he has our best interests in mind. Right? He's not waiting for us to measure up to love us. He already loves us. And then out of a response to that, we obey him. We're set free from slavery to fear and sin and we get to joyfully obey God in loving relationship with him. Accepting the body and blood of Jesus is following Jesus on an exodus out of Satan's rule, out of divine judgment, out of slavery to sin, but it's also an exodus to something. It's an exodus to life with God. Okay, so shortly after the Israelites left Egypt, Pharaoh changed his mind, which he liked to do. And he sent his army after the Israelites. And the Israelites, they get caught between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea. And the Lord called them not to panic as they're stuck between these two things. And he calls for Moses to part the Red Sea. It says this. It says that Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night long and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and their left. Okay, they walk through on dry ground, and what happens, they get through, and then the Egyptians come in, and then the water washes them away, and they drown in the sea. And eventually the Israelites would get to the promised land of life with God. 
In the same way, when we accept the body and blood of Jesus Christ, we can have our own Red Sea experience. On one side is the Egyptian army, which represents our life of slavery to sin. And on the other side of the Red Sea is life with God. And for us to get free from the Egyptian army and get to the promised land, something needs to split. Okay, for the Israelites, it was the Red Sea, and for us, it's the body of Jesus. Just as God split the Red Sea so the Israelites could walk through on dry ground and have life with him, he split the body of Jesus Christ so we could have life with him. And just as the Red Sea washed over the Egyptian army and wiped them out, Jesus' split body and spilled blood washes over all of our sin and makes us clean, makes us white as snow. And just as the parted sea was the bridge from slavery to freedom, the body and blood of Jesus is the bridge between us and God. Because of his broken body and shed blood, we can now live with God. And the Holy Spirit can take up or take up residence in our hearts and we can be sons and daughters of God. And the life of God can now flow through our veins. All right, the main idea this morning is this. Communion should be an immersion in our new exodus. This is what we're celebrating when we take communion. Exodus from Satan's rule. Exodus from divine judgment. Exodus from slavery. Exodus to life with God. That's what we're celebrating. So back when I became the director of Kyle at UNI, I was 22 years old. I had no full-time ministry experience. I had no clue what I was doing. I was way in over my head. And throughout that year, I really leaned on the Iowa State Kyle director, Drew Meyer. Some of you met him. He spoke at the Holy Spirit Conference last year. And then also his associate director, Kyle Trozen. And when the time came to, to plan our spring break, our spring break trip, because every year we do a mission trip for Chi Alpha. I decided just to join them on their trip, right? I hardly knew what I was doing anyways. I'm like, I don't want to plan a mission trip. So we just joined them. And, and we took a trip to Las Vegas to do door-to-door ministry. We just went from door-to-door and underprivileged areas and just shared the gospel with people. And I brought one whole student with me. And then we joined the Iowa State group and there were about 20 of them. And on one of the nights in Vegas, we decided to climb a small mountain on the outskirts of the city. When we got to the top, it was truly a beautiful sight as we had this great view of the strip. And I was able to snap a pic with Drew and Kyle, if we can show it quick. So Drew's on the right for you and then Kyle's on the left. And as I stood there with my arms around these good friends and as I looked out over the Vegas skyline, my heart just like leapt in my chest. It was like a holy moment. You know, I thought back to that, that crazy first school year. You know, a lot of weird things happened. And, and just everything I had learned during that first year of just kind of jumping, or jumping head first into this. And my heart just filled with gratitude as the Lord guided me along the way. Uh, that first year, it truly felt like climbing a mountain in some way. So I felt like it was kind of like symbolic of that. We got to this mountain together or top of this mountain together. Kind of felt like that as we were coming to the end of our first, or then, or then in my first school year. It was so difficult, but it was so rewarding at the same time. And then I looked around at the great friends who were with me and I thanked the Lord for, or for sending them to care for me and to help me that year. I was like, wow, Lord, like you gave me Drew and Kyle to help me through this year. Thank you so much for these men. And then I dreamed about the future and I dreamed about everything that God would do 
after we climbed back down that mountain. And here we are, it's eight years later, and wow, God has blown my mind. In that moment, it was all just kind of like, like in my mind's eye what God was gonna do. I share that to say that I was truly just immersed in that moment. I was filled with joy. It was an encounter with the living God with my friends. In communion, it's meant to be like this moment on the mountain. As we take the bread and the cup, we're supposed to think back to how faithful Jesus has been to us. We're supposed to think back to his broken body and his shed blood and let it carry us through and how it's carried us through. We've all sinned greatly, but Jesus, he suffered on our behalf and he has not regretted it ever since he did. He's never regretted dying for you. He did everything we needed to be made right with him. Also, we're... Our communion is not meant to be something just between you and God. It's a community thing. We're supposed to look around at the people in our church family and praise God for the body of Christ. These are our brothers and sisters, warts and all, right? We're not perfect, but they are God's gift to us to help us along the way on our journey with Jesus. We are meant to follow Jesus together, not in a solitary way. And we should praise God for all of it. Every person in this room, we should praise God for them, right? We're all so different. Some of you don't like, or love each other but some of you might you know kind of grind each other's gears a little bit but it's okay right God has given us one another to follow him together with and and we shouldn't wish for other people or say God you gave us the wrong people instead we should praise God and say God thank you for the people you've given me to follow you with and the last thing we're supposed to look ahead to what Jesus is going to do Jesus, he ended our passage by saying this. He says, truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. He's referring to the end when he sets everything right. As we're taking communion, we should look forward to the fact that the kingdom is gonna fully come and we're gonna get to live with God forever. He's gonna make all things right. Okay, with that in mind, when you take communion, which we're gonna do in a few minutes, I want it to be an encounter with the living God. It's not just a ritual to follow. It's not just a ritual. It's not just something you do, oh, take this wafer, it tastes bad. Take this juice, it also tastes bad. <laughs> it's not just a ritual, but it's an immersion into the love of God. It's a reminder of our exodus that Jesus made available for us. He freed us from Satan, judgment, and slavery. He has purchased us the opportunity to have right relationship with God. He has brought us into freedom. Communion should be an immersion into those truths. But here's the thing, before it can be a reminder of that, you have to actually first experience your exodus for the first time. So the question this morning before we take, have you experienced your exodus? Have you truly participated in the exodus that Jesus has made possible for you? Have you gotten free of Satan, judgment, and sin? If not, all you got to do is put your faith in Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to lead your life. Have you truly participated in the exodus that Jesus made possible for you? Have you? Have you truly participated in it? Have you gotten free of Satan and judgment and sin? Have you? Have you gotten free of those things? Again, if not, all you gotta do is put your faith in Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to lead your life. If you've never decided to follow Jesus, today is your day. Accept his broken body and his shed blood on your behalf. Or maybe you've said yes to Jesus, right? So I think a lot of us, if we're in church, a lot of us have already said yes to Jesus. 
But for you, it feels like you still live in Egypt. Seems like Pharaoh is still running your life. Feels like you're caught in sin and shame. And when you take communion today, I want it to be an immersion into the love of God for you today. I want this to be an opportunity for you to repent of your sins, right? Communion should be done with repentance and reverence before God for the ways we've sinned against him. But I also want you to realize what Jesus has done for you. He's done everything you've needed to be forgiven and made right with him. Today, receive it as a free gift. Receive communion as a gift and follow Jesus on the Exodus road and walk through the Red Sea and enter into abundant life with God. Truly immerse yourself in the broken body and shed blood and realize what it has purchased for you. Jesus broke his body, he shed his blood so you could be forgiven, set free, and whole. If we can be a church that truly immerses ourselves in the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, we'll be able to joyfully walk in the forgiveness that Jesus has purchased for us. And we won't try to prove ourselves to him, but instead we'll know that he's already proven it all. And we'll be able to run away from sin and run towards freedom. Okay, so if you'd stand to your feet, we're gonna do this and have a time of communion. So if I could have the prayer team come up here in the front. As we prepare to take communion, I'd be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity to, to put your faith in Jesus and get right with God today. We could bring the lights down back there. I wanna give you a chance to to truly trust in Jesus and receive what he's done for you. Communion is something that you should only participate in if you've already put your faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear about that. So don't feel an obligation if you're not a follower of Jesus yet to participate. But if you want to become a follower of Jesus, I wanna give you a chance to do that. All you have to do to be in God's family and to be saved is to accept Jesus' sacrifice on your behalf. That's all you gotta do. It's only through the body and the blood. It's not the body and the blood plus your efforts. It's not the body and the blood you know, plus the right background or, or plus the right amount of knowledge. It's the body and the blood that's all you need to be forgiven of your sins and to step into God's family. If you wanna put your faith in Jesus this morning, or if you wanna recommit, I wanna pray for you, but I need to know who I'm praying for. So can you just slip up your hand right now and let me know who you are? Like who wants to put their faith in Jesus or who needs to get right with them? See that hand in the back there? Is there anyone else? Just boldly put your hand up. We don't, like we're all family here. Is there anyone else? You just need to get right with God. I just sense there's someone who needs to get right with God today. Who, maybe you've been walking with him but in the past, but you've stepped away. Who needs to get, or who needs to recommit themselves to Jesus today? Who needs to make a commitment? Is there anyone else? All right, we got one person who raised their hand. If you do want to make that decision, you can still make the decision. You don't have to raise your hand, but I wanted to know what I'm praying for. So, I'm just gonna pray, and you pray in your heart. Pray in your heart, okay? So everyone, let's pray together as we celebrate this one person who wants to put their faith in Jesus Christ today. So Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. And Jesus, we thank you that you shed your blood and you broke your body so we could be saved. Lord, I pray for that, for that one person who says, I wanna put my trust in you. God, I pray that there would be an experience, an encounter with your love right now in Jesus' name like a newness coming in her heart right now. Lord, not just like a praying a prayer, but, but an encounter with you. Lord, you love her, you call her daughter, you see her faith, and you say you're forgiven. 
You say, welcome to my family. Jesus, I pray that that would be so real and so true right now in Jesus' name. We thank you for our sister who's joining the family of God this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.